please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to Morning Espresso. My name is Carlo Fascinati and I'll be your moderator today. Like every week, Morning Espresso is a simple concept. Every week, I invite a special guest to discuss topics that matter most to you. At the bottom of your screen, like always, you'll find a Q&A function. We invite you to ask questions throughout the webinar or of course, send us an email at nordeafunds at nordea.com or reach out to your sales representative after the call. This week, in addition, I would like to highlight that we have an interpretation function. You will find some languages that we will be simultaneously translating during this live webinar. But before we get to this morning's special guest, as always, let's, let's talk to Dr. Sebastian Galli, Nordea Asset Management Senior Macro Strategist for the latest macro news. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Morning Espresso again. Uh, last night, I got to check you out on Bloomberg TV, so congratulations, a really, really great show. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's slightly nerve-wracking, but it's, uh, you, you play with the fear and go along with it, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Ho hopefully, Morning Espresso is not so high pressure for you. It's pretty much the same thing. Uh, look, Sebastian, uh, let's go to our first uh, slide uh, of the morning. Uh, here we have a, a picture of the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, Powell, uh, who's going to be making some pretty important decisions this morning, particularly that they will be meeting this afternoon, uh, European time, to discuss sort of the next steps. What do you think is going to happen and what are the implications for the markets? So let us be clear, uh, consensus doesn't expect that much from uh, the Federal Reserve, though maybe some clarity regarding quantitative easing. What we, on the other hand, expect is a lot. First is a move to negative interest rates, not at this meeting, but already um, cleared or, or flagged for the next meeting but with one rate cut and a second rate cut potentially at some point in the future. Why are they doing this? One, because it helps equity, credits and the likes. So it's, it's a good move. Second element is because it weakens the dollar versus emerging market, but also versus the euro. A lot of emerging market countries prop up uh, their currencies uh, weaken their currencies relative to the dollar, and that is by purchasing a lot of dollars with negative interest rates, they would purchase a lot more euro. That means euro could be a 114 in a few weeks' time. Second element is yield control on the 10-year yield. If yields rise above, let's say, 1% in 10-year yield, they start to intervene. They don't necessarily have to do quantitative easing until they reach such a point. It probably uses less balance sheet, and they are, one should remember, Republicans. What will be released is the dot plot, and these dot plots explain what are the forecasts of various me members of the Fed regarding interest rates, and they will also release what we call the SEP economic projections uh, and the COVID-19 scenario forecast. And they will emphasize the fact that all of these scenarios are very, very uncertain, so you shouldn't take as much information as you should. However, on the dot plot side, the next moves, the uh, next meeting and the following one, still carry a significant amount of information. Last point is that they continue to put pressure on the White House and Congress to deliver a second fiscal package, which is very much needed for the U.S. economy. Uh, 
Uh, Sebastian, this brings me actually to a really important question. Uh, on Friday last week, we got the unemployment numbers from the United States. It surprised positively, uh, i.e. more jobs were added back to the economy uh, than were expected. However, there's still this disconnect, and we discussed this in our episodes uh, prior a few weeks ago. There's still this disallocation between Main Street and obviously Wall Street that seems to be, of course, doing well with the stimulus package. What do you refuse? Yeah, that one should remember that contrary to Europe, the U.S. doesn't have much of a social net. Basically, to, to save people, unemployment rate has uh, skyrocketed rocketed, and actually has difficulty. They have difficulties measuring how bad things are. That means we need that second fiscal package from Congress because the amount of money which has been given may help in the Midwest, but it probably doesn't help if you're on the West Coast or the East Coast in one of the larger cities. They do need more help. Second element, the Main Street uh, facility from the Fed has just started and it's a slow process to get it on board, but it's a vital one for very small companies and small companies who employ so many people. And they've been very slow with on the Fed side, probably because they didn't have much choice and on the uh, White House and Congress side, which is more questionable. And, and Sebastian, also, obviously, in the last uh, week, few weeks, we've seen, obviously, uh, some civil unrest, some civil movements, particularly in the United States and now growing around the world. Uh, what, what do you think the implications could be for, for markets with regards to that? Well, first, I, I was lucky enough to have a, one of my teachers when I, I lived in D.C. who actually was a civil rights activist of that period, and she basically taught us a little bit of uh, what it was and what it actually meant. So our, our hearts go out to all of those who are affected. Having said that, from an economic side, even though the destruction in some cases is, is widespread, the impact is relatively uh, limited. So economically, a limited issue. Politically, of course, a very significant issue. And looking at uh, sort of the, the next example slide uh, that we would like to share with you this morning, Sebastian, uh, rallies uh, are often said to die uh, in euphoria, right? And there are plenty of anecdotal stories of first-time day traders. What, what's your view about this? Well, there are, they, they're called the Robin Hoods uh, coming in basically and, and trying to make money by hunting and by, by betting. And it's an indication that people have learned from the great financial crisis to use leverage as is available to actually uh, take a, a bet that the economy is recovering. And this is one of the elements, in addition to what the Fed will do, uh, to tell us that the S&P 500 should overshoot five, maybe up to 15% above, above the, the previous highs. But that growth should be different. As we overshoot, it should be focused more, not on cyclical, which have, I think are almost completely priced in, but not completely priced in, or what you call value stocks, and move to from first, including first and second tier growth stocks. And within second tier growth stocks, we generally like them a lot. And one of the reasons we like them a lot is because climate funds essentially are just uh, second tier growth stocks. Thank you, Sebastian. So now I'd like to go for a recap uh, of, of this morning's uh, uh, macro key takeaways. So we'll put that here on the screen. As always, Sebastian, if you'd like to add or, 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 or clarify some of the points, feel free to, to do so. Uh, point number one, obviously really important uh, meeting uh, taking place later today with the Federal Reserve decision. Implications uh, being that there could be obviously negative yields or the yield control are quite supportive for risk taking. Uh, and secondly, equity markets continue uh, to be attractive, including uh, on valuation metrics. So implications here, obviously our expectations are uh, overshoot in equity uh, above previous uh, highs and would consider uh, adding more flexible solutions. Would you say that this is a fair uh, recap of your, of your morning points? I would agree so. And uh, well, important point to realize is uh, we were 
I guess a day we were actually a day early in the rebound equity markets and it was a horrifying day and we've been basically constructive on risk. Now we're heading for the next phase, which is a more complex phase. We're in the in overshoot, then it'll be a bit more complicated than it used to be. Uh, and in such an environment which, are, which has higher complexity, then you want to have flexible solutions. One, because they adjust very rapidly your asset allocation. Number two, because they load on different risk premium. One premium might work, it might be credit, which is still rallying. Uh, it might be other premiums which are rallying going forward after that overshoot. Uh, and, and so it gives you a far more flexibility in your asset allocation. Thank you so much, uh, Sebastian, again, for, for your insight. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with, with you. We look forward to having you again here uh, next week on, on Morning Espresso. So thanks, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. So without further ado, we can go to this morning's special guest, uh, joining us all the way from Stockholm, Sweden, the portfolio manager of Nordea's Global uh, Stars Equity Strategy, Johan Swan. Good morning, Johan. Morning, Carlo. So, Johan, I, I know that you know, you're, you're familiar with, with the Morning Espresso, and as always, we'd like to share with our viewers a little bit something that is sort of out of the box, something that they might not know personally about you, but something that also shows a little bit behind who's behind the manager. And uh, you were telling us uh, in the last few days that you, uh, in your earlier days, were a, a DJ. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So you had a yes. morning show. What, what music did you specialize in playing? Well, I, I mostly played uh, indie clubs, but I guess I played anything that would make people dance, right? So, you know, look, maybe in a future morning espresso, we can, we can hear some of your, your DJing uh, skills. But I do have one important question for you is, are, are there any particular lessons that you brought from your, your DJing days into your portfolio management? Anything that you could share with, uh, with our viewers? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, perhaps there's something about, you know, the passion that you, you, you bring into investing, right? I, I really think uh, uh, to be a good manager, you, you, you need to be passionate about, about what you do and passionate about investing in stocks. And, and I guess that's, uh, for, for me, uh, that passion is really important and, and it's part of what, why I love music so much as well and still do. Well, so, I think um, you, you couldn't have chosen probably a better area of investments than combining, obviously, uh, equities with, with ESG. So I think, I think I'm sure you've brought some of that passion uh, into what you do uh, every day. Uh, look, I would like to then now switch into the, let's say, the tough questions I can ask you this, this morning. Um, look, last week we met with Eric Pedersen, head of, uh, as you know, head of the Responsible Investments team, uh, whom I'm sure you uh, interact quite a lot with. And we were discussing sort of the COVID-19 uh, crisis and the impact on, on ESG strategies. Particularly, we noted uh, that ESG strategies uh, perform better than the general market when we had that sort of uh, correction uh, in March. What, what are your thoughts from the, from, from the investment side? Was that short-term luck or is this a long-term solid trend for the future? Well, I, I guess I may be a little bit biased, right? Because I'm an ESG investment manager. Uh, but to us, it's, it's, I mean, ESG and sustainability was, was super important before the pandemic and it's going to be really important after the pandemic as well. Uh, I mean, I guess during the pandemic, uh, what you've kind of seen was, was oil prices crashing, coming crashing down and actually turning negative there for a brief moment. Um, I, I guess that has more to do with all the travel restrictions and, and so on that we've seen due to the pandemic. Um, but I mean, looking ahead, I mean, sustainability is really the direction the world is, is going into. And, and for us as investment managers, uh, that's where we need to be as well, right? Um, not Absolutely. just to make it a better world, but also to, to make better money or better returns for our, our, our fund holders, because that's where you can make money, we think. 
And I think this segues very nicely. So, so for our first uh, slide uh, uh, of the morning with you, uh, last week, uh, Eric already started discussing the STARS concept uh, with, with our viewers. And for those of you that were maybe unable to join last week, our STARS concepts are built on three overarching uh, objectives, a very important objectives, of course, obviously one, beating the benchmark. Uh, that's where Johan and his team uh, comes in. Obviously, selecting those companies that live up to Nordea's uh, ESG uh, criteria, and most importantly, obviously, creating uh, a lasting impact. As we look at sort of this very uh, illustrated but very nice, succinct way of showing sort of the ESG integration and sort of this DNA helix that we come up, uh, can you walk us through uh, how you uh, inter integrate ESG integration, uh, both with you and your team, and how, how that is in practice? Sure. I mean, I mean, this slide, as you can see, is is, is um, shaped like a DNA molecule, and and I guess is our way of trying to say that we work ESG into our our DNA as an investment team. And I think what's really quite unique, at least for Nordea, is is uh, the integration that we have been able to achieve. So what we really have done is we've taken our ESG specialists, uh, our ESG team, and we've integrated them into the investment teams. Right. So for Global Stars. I have a gentleman uh, helping me out called Philip Rungberg, who is our uh, ESG specialist um, for Global Stars. And he's embedded in our team in the sense that he's, he's participating in all our meetings on a weekly and daily basis. He's uh, participating in case presentations, idea generation, everything. So he's, he's pretty much involved in the investment process for Global Stars from, from start to finish, if you will. Um, and, and the benefits of that, I would say it gives us a, a a holistic approach to ESG as an investment team, right? Um, so the old investment specialists become much better at understanding and appreciate the ESG issues. And I would say that the ESG specialists on their side get a better understanding of the investment process and so forth. So. And 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 and, and Johan uh, and, and sorry for, for for interrupting, but I think what's I think we maybe what one of our, our viewers could be interested in is okay, it's fantastic. You have an ESG analyst integrated with the team. You integrate it into your analysis and and so fundamental analysis plus the ESG analysis. But what happens uh, when you guys disagree? Yeah, I mean, I, so, so one of the advantages we get is our, our ESG analysts have evolved from being sort of an ESG police who will tell us what we can invest in and not, right? right? to actually becoming part of contributing to the portfolio and the performance, coming up with investment ideas and so forth. And, and since we've been working together now for several years, I mean, these disagreements that we had maybe five, 10 years ago, they're not as common anymore because we, we work together from throughout the process and, and this disagreement doesn't really happen that much. And, and I think you said it very nice and succinctly, right? Because that's also what, you know, we were just showing in the slide, you know, that, that DNA, that full integration. It's not only nice illustratively, but it really does uh, show what happens in practice with you and, and, your, and your team. Uh, an another question that, that I was reflecting on, and I think really, really important is obviously when, you, when you're meeting with companies, how do you talk to them about ESG? Uh, what, do you, what do you expect them to bring to the table to you? What matters most to you? Yeah, that depends a lot on, on what company we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? So some companies may have a little bit more of a problematic ESG profile or maybe more risks associated with the business model. And in those cases, we focus a lot, obviously, on how the management team will uh, manage those risks and what process they, they have in place and so forth. And, and I guess in, in, in the instances where we have a more positive profile, where, where ESG is a strong driver for the company, we obviously focus more on the opportunities and, and, and um, 
how the company can grow its uh, sales and earnings with uh, with those trends that they are happen to be exposed to. And so now if we look at sort of the, the, the next slide here, sort of you're investing obviously in a global equity universe. Uh, obviously you have a high conviction portfolio. So, you know, uh, the positions, you know, 40, 60 stocks. Uh, so you gotta, obviously you gotta trim, trim the fat uh, away if you will, but how do you, how do you go uh, about picking, you know, what companies will be A, B or C uh, in the portfolio? Right, so, so it's important to understand what Global Stars is, right? We, what we try to do with Global Stars is to find the optimum balance between generating strong performance and, and uh, with a sustainable footprint, I guess. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the Global Stars should be able to compete with any other global fund out there in terms of risk-adjusted uh, returns. Uh, but also then with, with, with a sustainable footprint, as I said. So how, how we try to achieve that is we kind of very simplistically look at our universe and divide it into three buckets, if you will. Um, it's, it's the companies uh, that we call C-rated companies, uh, which you see to the left in this graph here, which are you know, the, the really problematic ESG companies, the things that we don't touch and we don't want mm -hmm. to be invested in because they don't meet our ESG standards. Uh, so what we, we avoid those uh, stocks in that bucket. And we really try to look for investments in the A bucket. Uh, those are companies where, where the business model typically would allow them to be a part of the solution to some of the world's problems rather than to contribute to the problem itself, right? Uh, uh, and those would be A-rated companies. And we try to push our, our portfolio as far as we can uh, to the right in this chart and, and, and find as many of those companies as we can. But to get that risk-adjusted return profile that we want, we, we sometimes have to accept also um, uh, what we call neutral companies or B-rated companies, uh, where perhaps they don't contribute so much to, to, to ESG solutions, but at least uh, they are not detrimental to, to sustainable uh, trends or, or, and so on. So that, that's how we kind of put the portfolio together. And, and Johan, obviously, uh, while you're focusing on the A's and the B's, maybe some, uh, let's say, viewers that might be new to sort of this uh, sort of uh, style of investing, what, what would you consider, what are, what, what's the makeup of, of the, the C-rated companies? You know, are these, are these, like you were mentioning before, uh, sort of those energy stocks or, or you know, what, what are some examples maybe of, of the sectors or kind of comp industries that you would consider in that C-rated category? Well, we certainly avoid some of the uh, oil intensive and coal intensive, carbon intensive uh, energy stocks, that's for sure. And also the same goes for some of the mining stocks and you will have tobacco companies in there and perhaps weapons companies and, and things like that. But there could be companies from all sectors that have some sort of problematic issues that we don't appreciate or uh, which we don't think the company is managing well and then, then they can end up in that sea bucket. Um, Facebook, for example, would be, would be an example. We, we don't think they've handled their uh, ESG issues particularly well in recent years and, and, and we put them in that bucket. And now I think now that we've sort of gone over a little bit of the theory, maybe we can go a little bit into right. the practice. So in, in, our, in our next slide, I, you know, can you give us an example of, I know here we have an example of companies and, and the role ESG takes uh, in, the, in, the, in the selection process, particularly I think also what uh, um, our clients could be interested in is obviously sort of what is that, that impact that, 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 that it creates by investing? You know, what is the approach that you take? Right, we've taken the auto sector as, a, as an example here. I, can, I think it illustrates two sort of central uh, keys to our investment process. And apart from ESG, it also illustrates uh, what we call tailwind, which we think is a super important concept in investing, perhaps the most important concept. So if I can just take a, a second to explain what we mean by tailwind, it's Absolutely. some sort of operational 
tailwind that a company has uh, that drives their performance, right? Um, and and it's it's important because it drives the upside potential for a stock. If 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 you're exposed to certain growth trends, of course, it's easier to grow, but it also reduces risks, right? And you can think about it like. If, if you're rowing a rowboat against the tide and you stop rowing, you immediately go backwards, right? But if you're rowing with the tide and you stop rowing for a second, you still move forward. And that's, it's the same thing with these operational tailwinds for companies. And that's why we think it's so important to uh, have that as, as an aspect when, when you're investing. So yes, sorry, if, if you look at, if you look at the uh, auto industry, then I mean, a typical auto OEM would be Renault, right? Uh, one of the largest OEMs uh, in the world. Uh, and they have a bunch of headwinds working against them, right? So first of all, they're, they're subject to fierce price competition, right? Because, I mean, the Renault brand, even if it's a, it's a good car, it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't drive people to pay extra for the car or anything like that. But they also have a lot of regulations going against them. So exhaust regulations, particularly from the EU, that is costly to them and, and, and it's difficult. Um, to comply with and it and and um, it costs a lot of money so as you can see that stock has underperformed uh, the market for for a long time and we would expect it to continue to do so so in that case obviously you would avoid it but you would look sort of sort of for the alternatives and within that so obviously here you have a, an, an auto live can you can you explain a little bit more about auto live and, and why you find that uh, as, a, as an interesting let's say uh, esg stock Sure. So while Autoliv is, is uh, depending on the same end market as Renault, the, the global auto market, uh, it has a little bit it has a little different uh, product mix, right? So it, it does seat belts and, and airbags for cars. So it's uh, essentially involved in safety for, for cars, saving you know thousands and thousands of lives every year. And that gives them a, a completely different standing with the regulators. So they actually have a regulatory tailwind, if you will, that the regulator yeah. wants car manufacturers to put in more and more safety features into the car, which, which benefits auto leave. And then they've also have other aspects, of course, that uh, uh, I mean, they have some competitive wins and, and, and so forth. But that's uh, actually allowed auto leave to, to consistently outperform the, the global stock markets, um, even though they're exposed to the same teams as, as, uh, or same market as Renault. Absolutely. And I think what also was interesting when you were discussing this example with me uh, a little earlier, you have sort of, you have little fuse in here. And, and, and I think what was quite unique about the example of little fuse is also that it came from your ESG uh, analyst. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually the first stock that was put into the portfolio by our ESG analyst. And it had to do with, with um, uh, the, the analyst was, was looking for um, uh, some way to play the electric vehicle theme, right? And as we usually say in investing, that if you're if you're in a gold rush, you don't want to be the guy digging for gold. You want to be the guy who sells the shovels to the people. Absolutely, people. yes. And, and Little Fuse is, is a little bit like that. So they do uh, electronics and electrical components for for auto manufacturers and and fuses as well as as maybe the uh, name suggests. Um, and so when when we move. Uh, the car fleet from uh, combustion engine into hybrids and electric vehicles, the ele electrification of the car increases gradually, right? And that uh, means that the, the addressable market for somebody like Little Fuse is increasing uh, all the time. Uh, they also have this benefit that because the products are fairly small uh, in the total bill of materials and because they're innovative, they don't have that price pressure that maybe is, is, is haunting 
renal and, and to some extent also autoliv, uh, and, and that gives them a much better position. And as you can see, the stock has done a lot, lot better over, the, over time, and we expect it to continue to, to do so. Uh, and, and I have also some, now I'm getting some questions from some, some clients. Uh, I have here one actually uh, re related to, uh, let's say, maybe a, a, a past position, but I think it's also one that, that's quite relevant within the ESG context, which is the one of Facebook uh, speaking to, to, so obviously you've exited the, the position. Uh, so what are your thoughts with regards to uh, how far they've come and where, where they're going? Is it, a, is it a possible, again, candidate in the future, or rather do you find other opportunities uh, that are better uh, within, let's say, the ESG uh, panorama? Right. I think since we exited the stock, and it's been uh, almost two years now, I think they, at least initially, they've done a lot of good things uh, to, to clean up on the platform and to improve the data um, uh, security and so on. And that, that cost them quite a bit of money. And, and, and you saw an initial dent into the margins. And then they've sort of come back and, and, and uh, continued to do fairly well. But now, more recently, you've seen them a lot in the news again. Uh, and, and we just think that the editorial content uh, is going to continue to be a problem for them and, and, and the risk that we are not yet willing to tolerate. So we find other alternatives with similar characteristics, uh, let's say Google, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple are all holdings that we have in the portfolio instead of Facebook at this, at this point. Okay, and, and also uh, I think uh, here another question I'm seeing is, so obviously we know that you're a bottom-up uh, stock selection process, but geographically your portfolio tends to be tilted, uh, let's say more to, to, the, to the US uh, at, at the moment. Uh, is there any areas uh, particularly related to COVID-19 uh, where you want to sort of maybe stay away because maybe they're still going through the, the pandemic wave or, or does not, does not impacting so far any of your portfolio positions? I mean, the COVID pandemic is, is really complicating things for us. It, it's a very binary outcome and, and uh, we're, we're, we're keeping on our toes here to, to see what's going on, uh, if there's going to be a second wave and how governments are going to handle that and so on and how the central bank response will be. Um, but for now, we're keeping a fairly balanced portfolio. Um, <clears throat> we try to avoid uh, very big style biases or, or sector biases right now and, and focus on the stock picking. Uh, um, because we, we just don't know how that this is going to play out. Actually, I also had another question from our client here is that do you have any sector uh, strategies or uh, any sector deviation constraints? Um, no hard constraints, but, but we, we've said that uh, Global Stars, we want to be a stock selection portfolio. We want to right. a majority of our, our active risk coming from stock selection rather than style biases or, or sector bets and so on. So we try to stay within, let's say, three to five percent active positions on, on, on sectors and regions essentially. And maybe one, one last question here also. I think this is a, a quite quite a good one. When, when you're engaging with, with companies with regards to, to, to ESG topics, is there any common theme that you think companies are still lacking today uh, with regards to ESG? That they're lacking today? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a very good uh, question. I, I don't have a good answer to that. I, I think we're more focusing on the trends that we are seeing, right? And and we're just noting that when we talk to companies, and particularly in the US, ESG factors have come right to the forefront uh, of the discussion. And that's happened in the last, I would say, one to two years, right? Uh, it's it's a huge change going on there. And it's, it's multiple themes, everything from, you know, plastic replacement to, uh, you know, all the digitalization and data security needs and so on. So, a lot of things going on, I would say.
So that's that's really really great. Thank you, uh, Johan. Maybe we can now go to our our key takeaways for for this morning's session with uh, Johan. Uh, a lot of them also related, uh, Johan, to what what I was discussing with Eric last week, which sort of makes it nice for for this part too. Uh, but again, we are seeing ESG demand growing uh, very strongly, uh, and we strongly also believe that it will be a very long term trend, and it's here to stay. Uh, obviously, with uh, Johan's solution here, we're talking about an, a global equity solution uh, where ESG investing meets performance. Uh, I'd also like to highlight, obviously, that you know that we have a STARS uh, ESG uh, equity and fixed income range. So obviously, in all of them, we're striving uh, to deliver alpha uh, generation for our clients. Very important to highlight that. Uh, true ESG integration, uh, where obviously the fundamental and ESG analysis are combined. Uh, I think you, you, you heard Johan describing, obviously, the ESG dedicated analysts in his team, but also you know that Nordea Asset Management we are engaging with companies globally on ESG topics as well. Uh, obviously, a good trend that we're seeing in the U.S. is companies bringing ESG to the forefront. So this is obviously a, a, a major emerging trend that we will see and continue uh, to support. Uh, and most importantly, obviously, we're trying to influence and foster change in the companies uh, by engaging in dialogues around uh, specific uh, ESG topics. You know, we have uh, Facebook uh, as a as a, a known case in the past, but we also have others that you, of course, uh, we can uh, speak to your uh, sales representative to find out more uh, information. And lastly, obviously, a very large and experienced team uh, with a strong tracker. Johan, would you say this is uh, sums up nicely uh, what we have discussed this morning? Yes, Carl. I think you've done a, a great job there. Thank you so well, much for that. Thank you so much, Johan, for taking your, uh, the time this morning uh, for joining us on Morning Espresso. And thank you, always, uh, as always, Sebastian Galli, for giving us uh, your macro insights. Uh, thank you, of course, to you, the viewers, uh, for joining us uh, this week. Next week's special guest will be Luke Brown. He's head of asset allocation head of asset allocation Asia uh, at Manulife. That'll be a really interesting uh, webinar for sure. Uh, as always, you can find more information at nordea.lu on our Stay Alert website where we have our solutions and how you can deal, use our solutions to navigate this complex uh, COVID-19 world. So until next time, thank you so much for joining us. Be well and stay safe.